This is the Rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the Auction Community Studios for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you. Michaela Perkins behind the glass. And for the second consecutive day, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of NFL news. I, I think still yesterday was bigger. I mean, at least locally it obviously was. It was pretty big today, though. Let's get into the Rapid Reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. Well, we have to start in New England or Tampa, wherever you feel like the story should be centered. Tom Brady announcing this morning on social media that he's not coming back to New England. And it is being reported by a lot of different outlets now, and this is not official. And Technically, nothing is official on any of these moves, I guess, until tomorrow. But this one, uh, less so than maybe some of the other ones. But it sure sounds like Tom Brady is going to be playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, I mean, maybe nothing should surprise me at this point. But if you had told me Tom Brady was going to play for the Buccaneers, like, I don't know, six months ago, I would have thought you crazy. And instead, here we are. (laughs) Now it's just, everything is crazy. Everything in the world is crazy. And DeAndre Hopkins is a Cardinal. I'm still not even over that yet. But Tom Brady is uh, is expected to sign with the Buccaneers. If you look at it, I mean, he's going to have... He's going to have weapons. He's going to have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Tampa Bay last year, if you recall, actually went on a pretty nice run to close out the, uh, the season. But they had just dug themselves too big of a hole early in the first half of the year to really make a serious playoff push. Jameis Winston last year threw 30 interceptions. Tom Brady has thrown 30 interceptions total since 2015. So this is going to be different. Now, this is not Tom Brady in his prime, obviously. This is not... It's, it's not that version of Tom Brady, but he didn't really have weapons last year. I'm, I'm actually... I'm really fascinated by this because all of a sudden... We went from Tom Brady and Bill Belichick having nothing to prove. They've won how many Super Bowls? I've lost track. To now Tom Brady and Bill Belichick both separately have a lot to prove. And that, to me, is something to keep an eye on this season. The Buccaneers don't play the Patriots. I was keeping an eye on that just in case if he had gone to the Chargers, they actually play New England in L.A. this season. The Buccaneers do not. So the only way we're going to see Brady versus Belichick is going to be in the Super Bowl, which I sincerely hope that does not happen. Uh, But I think Tampa Bay, I mean, I already probably would have picked them to be a fringe playoff team. Now Bruce Arians gets to coach Tom Brady. I mean, you look at the list of quarterbacks Bruce Arians has coached, and it is ridiculous. But most of them he gets towards the beginning of their career. Carson Palmer and now Tom Brady obviously being uh, the exceptions there. How about that jump? You go from playing your entire career with Bill Belichick as your coach. Great coach, obviously. Probably the best in NFL history. But just that personality to the personality of Bruce Arians, it doesn't get a lot more extreme than that. But uh, Brady to, to Tampa Bay, not totally sure why he felt the need to leave the Patriots. I think realistically, most of us, if we were in his position, maybe you know at this point we would test free agency. What more do you really have to prove with New England? But 
don't know. I always thought until really until that video surfaced of him and Julian Edelman at the Syracuse game a couple weeks ago. Feels like nine years ago, but it was just a couple weeks ago. Up until that point, I still thought Brady would probably come back to New England, but uh, it's it's pretty apparent that both sides wanted to to part ways. This is um here. This is this is Stephen A. Smith on on who he blames for this. If he were treated better by Bill Belichick and not treated as just somebody that you know what you're just another player. Okay, well, I'm that that clip is a minute and a half long. That's as much Stephen A. Smith yelling as I can take right now. So I spared you a minute and 20 seconds of it. But that's what Bill Belichick does. That's why he's been so successful. Now, should he have treated Tom Brady differently if that, in fact, is the case? Yeah, Tom Brady got you six Super Bowls. I, for the pretty much this entire run, have felt like if you're, if you're trying to divide up who's most responsible for the Patriots having the success they have, I do think it's, it's more Belichick than Brady. I don't think it's 90-10. I think it's, I don't know, maybe 65, 35, 60, 40. And I don't mean that as a slight at Brady. But I'm also excited to see what he can do with the Buccaneers. I am. I think it'd be kind of cool if he got the Buccaneers in the playoffs and and made a little run right there. He, um, I, I feel like he has more to prove in a sense just because he's risking more. The Patriots, we've already seen the Patriots with Matt Castle. We've seen them with Jimmy Garoppolo for a little bit. We've, you know, they, they will get by. They'll be fine. Uh, I do think they're obviously trailing away from where they want to be. And now with the um, only one team in the AFC getting a, a first-round bye, I mean, they're going to be in some trouble here depending what they do at quarterback. Relative trouble. But Brady's got more to risk because he is he's being looked at by almost everybody as the best quarterback of all time. If he goes to Tampa and they finish, or if he goes anywhere and they finish like 7-9, and nine, which I don't think will happen, 8-8, eight and eight, I still think the Buccaneers could be a 10-win team this year. But if he goes somewhere and starts hovering around 500 where Belichick keeps having success with the Patriots, and Belichick obviously has more time to coach the Patriots if he wants to than Brady does to be a quarterback, then, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to knock people's perception of you down from best quarterback ever to one of the best quarterbacks ever. So in that respect... Brady does have a little bit more on the line here. Uh, other news in the NFL, and certainly we'll get back into to Tom Brady and what exactly this means for the Patriots and the NFL in general and the quarterback carousel that's in full swing today. Cardinals reportedly signing Jordan Phillips, defensive tackle from Buffalo, to a three-year $30 million deal. Pro Football Focus, who, it, it, this was random, but was completely in tandem with uh, with everything that Steve Kime did last year at the draft. Not uh, not so high on on Jordan Phillips. Lorenzo Alexander played with Jordan Phillips last year in Buffalo. He was on with Doug and Wolf this morning. You know what? Uh, Jordan Phillips, you know, JP, as I call him, is, uh, is a great teammate. He has a, a great infectious personality um, that really galvanizes um, not only his uh, position group, but I think the locker room as well. Um, when he when he immediately got to our team in, in 18, his first game out there, you know, after really just practicing with us for like three days, I mean, he, he might have had one of the best games I've ever seen a defensive lineman have as far as just being dominant, throwing guys around, playing with an attitude and swagger about you, about himself. And so as a linebacker, um, I really loved and benefited from the way he played. 
Yeah, obviously, a, a major need for the Arizona Cardinals is help on the defensive line. If you look at what they have right now, they have Jordan Phillips, or they will as of tomorrow. Corey, P- uh, Corey Peters, who's been there for a while, certainly. But then it's just draft picks from last year. Zach Allen, Michael Dogba, um, fellow rookie Miles Brown, who was undrafted last year. I mean, he's in the mix. But guys like Rodney Gunter are free agents. So it's... It's no secret they had holes to fill up front on the defensive line. We'll see what Jordan Phillips does. Like I said, pro football focus not high on him at all. He's had an interesting career up to this point. You heard Lorenzo Alexander right there sort of allude to it. He got to Buffalo in 2019. Prior to that, he was just released from the Dolphins. Bills got him off waivers. It's okay. Last year had a really good season. Nine and a half sacks, 31 tackles. But uh, prior to last year, never had more than two sacks in a single season. So was last year a player figuring it out after a few seasons in the NFL? Or was last year a player going all out because it was a contract year and he probably looked around and said, hey, you know, this is, if I'm going to get paid, if I'm going to stick around in this league, I I really got to deliver. Now, even if it was that, he at least has the capacity when he goes all in to play really good football. The Bills had a pretty good defense last year. Um, situations like this, I tend to think we're going to get something more towards the middle of what we've seen from a guy from the last two years. But there's certainly a possibility Jordan Phillips just finally figured it out last year, put it all together. Hopefully he can do that again with the Cardinals this year because especially after everything that happened yesterday, I think we're all pretty confident in this team's offense. It's, uh, it's just a matter of what they are able to do defensively. Here's one more from Lorenzo Alexander. You know, he can really do anything. I mean, he's a, he's a three-down guy. You know, you have a lot of D-tackles these days that can, you know, stop the run, and then you get this specialist group that comes in on third down. Um, he didn't get the, as many opportunities he probably should have in Buffalo, um, but he's your complete package. So, Cardinals, not nearly as, as big of a move today, obviously, as what they did yesterday, but uh, still, addressing a need and... If he's the player he was last year in Buffalo, $10 million a year for three years, that's not bad. If he's the player he was prior to that, well, then they overspent. But uh, only time will tell on that one. Finally, to the NBA, Kevin Durant reportedly testing positive for the coronavirus. And he, um, he said he's feeling fine and everything, urged everybody to do the self-quarantine thing. But uh, he is now the, what, the seventh player in the NBA to test positive for it. Of course, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Christian Wood of Detroit, three anonymous Nets. We don't have their names. And then uh, Kevin Durant. This is Woj talking today about why the Nets players uh, were tested in the first place. The team returned back from a California trip. They had been in San Francisco planning to play the Warriors before that game uh, was canceled uh, with with the rest of the NBA schedule. They had been in L.A. prior to that. And simply, the players, the organization, made a decision that they wanted to test everybody. I was told they went through a private firm, paid out of pocket, uh, did not use any insurance money, um, and got the results uh, back this morning. Yeah, this is from Sham Sharania. Durant told The Athletic that he's feeling fine. Quote, everyone be careful, take care of yourself in quarantine. We're going to get through this, unquote. I do think it's important to point out that when these guys are feeling fine, <laughs> like not that this isn't a big deal. It obviously is a very big deal. But, you know, 
Rudy Gobert seems to be doing okay as well, too. The story shouldn't just end with they got it. Like, you need to, if, if they get through it, then that's certainly a very big, in fact, I would argue the biggest part of the story. But this, uh, this whole thing just continues to get more and more weird. We're going to transition back to sports. When we come back, what exactly is next now for Bill Belichick and the Patriots after they lose the face of their franchise and arguably the face of the NFL over the last 20 years? That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. NFL Free Agency Frenzy on The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Now, the first uh, two days of the NFL free agent frenzy have not disappointed if you were looking for storylines. And the NFL rarely does when it comes to this stuff. I mean, they were the original masters of capturing the offseason. The NBA, I think, has done a, a pretty creative job of it in recent years. But NFL free agency, free agency is usually a pretty big deal. This year in particular, though, when you have you know pretty pretty much household name quarterbacks, and we'll get to some of them in a, in a moment here, and some of just the other big names that aren't Tom Brady moving around. You knew this was going to be uh, a big week. And when they agreed to the CBA and everything over the weekend and announced that they were going to go through with this this week and not delay it or anything, well, you figured going to be a couple big days here to start the week off in the legal tampering period, which is typically when all the stories really break. But to have the Cardinals make that trade yesterday and to have Tom Brady announce that he is, is leaving New England this morning and then ultimately uh, make the uh, decision, it, it sounds like, that he is going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It is, uh, I mean, that's, that is a monstrous shakeup of the NFL. And I, I kind of wonder, you can always tweet into the show at Rundown987 how people feel about this. It's a little bit different than maybe Jordan with the Bulls going to the Wizards at the end of his career, just in the sense, and maybe maybe it's just because you know, I've, I've really experienced the whole Brady time uh, with, the, uh, with the Patriots, maybe a little bit more so than I did with, with Jordan and the Bulls, obviously. Um, but I, I never got the sense that that many people were just sick of the Bulls winning, and maybe that's just because everybody's looking back on it more fondly now. There, I think, is an element of, hey, Brady's not on the Patriots anymore. All right, the dynasty's over. I'll be honest, that's that's partially my reaction. I said yesterday, even before Brady was uh, was officially moving, to me, this is really the first time to feel like the, the Patriots dynasty is over, obviously now because Brady's moved. But yesterday, with the NFL going to an extra playoff team in each conference, and then in doing so, saying that the number two seed has to play in the first round, only the number one seed in each conference gets a bye. The Patriots have been trending down a little bit. I mean, they won the Super Bowl two years ago, so they haven't been trending down that much. But I think even a Patriots fan would tell you that was one of their worst Super Bowl winning teams two years ago. That was just kind of things fell right, and if you put Brady and Belichick in a, in a one-game situation to win the Super Bowl, they're going to find a way to win it. They're just... It seemed like nobody else wanted to win the Super Bowl two years ago. If you ranked all the Patriots Super Bowl winners, I have to think that was the worst of them. So in that sense, I guess by their standards, they were even trending down a little bit two years ago. If you can trend down while winning a Super Bowl, that sounds ridiculous. But they didn't look right last year at all. Um, and, and obviously, I mean, they're working in new weapons in the offense. But you know, Brady and Belichick, it sure seemed like we're, we're set to, to part ways, even though people like me didn't really believe it until a couple weeks ago. Adam Schefter 
on the announcement that it looks like Brady's not only leaving, but going to Tampa. We are being told that Tom Brady, barring anything unforeseen, is expected to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Now, there is no signing plan right now, no press conference plan. A lot of people have been wondering if this would come up on the first day of the league year. What we do know is that Tom Brady is expected to be in Tampa with the Buccaneers. And it looks like that decision will come down at some point this week, whenever it may be. But it has been trending this way throughout the course of the day. Now, more from Adam Schefter. What exactly is New England's plan moving forward? We know Brady's going to a team with some offensive weapons. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Um, They have Bruce Arians. Typically, that's a fun offense. Tampa was a fun offense last year, which probably wasn't as fun if you're a Buccaneers fan because Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions. No, by the way, this, of course, means Jameis Winston is going to be available, too. So the quarterback carousel gets that much crazier in the NFL. But you can kind of put together in your head what is next for Tom Brady, or you can at least come to your own uh, predictions. But for the Patriots, they've now got a major decision to make because they don't really have a quarterback, at least not one with any experience. I don't think they're going to rush into anything because Tom Brady announces that he's leaving. It's not like today they're going to go sign Phillip Rivers or go trade for a quarterback that's out there right now. They'll let the quarterback landscape calm down. And they'll make a move at the right time. And it may just be that they want to win without a high-priced quarterback. It may be that they take their resources and allocate them to the defensive side of the football and begin rebuilding. They've got Jared Stidham, an inexpensive quarterback on a rookie contract. Maybe you go draft another rookie quarterback. Maybe you sign one of these free agent quarterbacks that's left standing without a deal in a couple of weeks, which is the Patriot way. And maybe you got three quarterbacks there left vying for a spot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird now because you've got Carolina telling Cam Newton to to find a trade partner. Um, I mean, Jameis is going to be out there now. I don't think they're going to keep him to back up Tom Brady. So there, there are names out there floating around they could go out there and get. Andy Dalton's name has been tossed around quite a bit. But you heard Schefter say right there, how about Jarrett Stidham? Fourth-round pick in last year's draft out of Auburn, just kind of quietly somebody the Patriots took. Uh, you know they took him with the intention of, could this guy be our future quarterback? I mean, obviously Brady was, what, a seventh rounder? Like, it's not impossible for the Patriots to find a guy later in the draft. Um, but just because Jared Stidham wears the same jersey Tom Brady did, I'm not going to immediately assume he's going to suddenly be good at the NFL level. How scary would this be, though, if the Patriots, for whatever reason, hadn't had to deal Jimmy Garoppolo? I think Garoppolo is a little overrated, but if he was stepping in with the Patriots right now, would you really feel like there was going to be a drop-off at all? You know, drop-off from what Brady is now, not drop-off from Brady winning Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl. Garoppolo, you have to prove that no matter who you are. But if if they were switching right now and saying, okay, Tom Brady's going to the Buccaneers, and we all know Jimmy Garoppolo is the new starting quarterback for the Patriots— I mean, that's still probably going to be the team that wins the AFC East at that point. They might still win it. We don't know who their quarterback's going to be. But if it's Jared Stidham, you have to figure they're going to at least take a step back a little bit. I just can't imagine Belichick being out of the playoffs for very long. I mentioned some of the other players on the move today. Teddy Bridgewater to Carolina. Three years, $63 million. So now... We got to find a home for Cam Newton, or I guess he's got to find the home. But, I mean, 
talking about a guy that was viewed as as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL just a couple years ago, got his team to the Super Bowl, and then didn't fall on a fumble. Last year, obviously, was uh, didn't look right at the start of the year and then didn't play most of the year. I still think if Cam Newton ends up on the right team, and I know there's a lot of talk, maybe it's Chicago that he would end up on. Chicago, who just went out there and got Robert Quinn, they already have Khalil Mack. That defense is going to be intimidating. Uh, most people would agree. You watch Chicago play and you realize that Mitch Trubisky is what's holding them back. Even though there are those Trubisky truthers out there and they're all Bears fans, but not all of the Bears fans. But it's never good when the only people who think your quarterback is good are only fans of your team, not even all the fans of your team, and then like fans of where he went to college. Trubisky's holding the Bears back. If they go out there and get Cam Newton, I think Cam Newton's still got one or two really good years left in him. At least one, because he's got something to prove. And that's what's really becoming interesting here. You've got Phillip Rivers going to the Colts. I don't know how much Rivers is like, I've got something to prove. But, you know, he's on a team that could make a push in the AFC. Cam Newton now, wherever he ends up, has something to prove. Teddy Bridgewater, in a different way, maybe not so much with a chip on his shoulder, but now he's got a deal and he's a starting quarterback, and he's taken quite the path to get there. Because remember, you know, he, he ended up with the uh, the Vikings to start off his career and then had a really bad injury and, and ended up sort of derailed because of that injury. I credit Teddy Bridgewater for fighting back and getting to the point where he's starting quarterback for an NFL team. I'm not sure that I would have run out to get him over Cam Newton, but, you know, again, Cam didn't look great last year even so much towards the end of the year before, and then he was hurt last year. The reason I think Cam still has one good year in him left, at least, is because he essentially had last season off. And if he ends up on a team like Chicago or whoever, I could see him going out there and playing with a chip on his shoulder. And sometimes that's the knock on Cam, is that maybe he doesn't doesn't want it quite as much as some of these other guys. Fair or not, sometimes that's the knock. If that's any element of it, I think he's going to want it this year. But, yeah, I mean, you got Cam with something to prove. You've got Brady with something to prove. When's the last time we've really had Tom Brady with something to prove? And not like the manufactured garbage every year from the Patriots of, oh, we're the underdogs and nobody believes in us. You win the Super Bowl every other year. Everybody expects you to win every other year. Now this year, if you want to tell me the Patriots are the underdog, okay. Underdog to win the Super Bowl. Now I'll finally buy it with the Patriots. So Brady actually has something to prove because Tampa Bay is not your Super Bowl favorites this year. Belichick's got something to prove. David Johnson certainly has something to prove. We'll see how some of these guys respond. You know how Brady responds when he feels like he has something to prove. We don't necessarily know yet how Cam's going to respond or David Johnson because we thought he was going to respond in a big way at the start of this year, and he didn't. And then when it seemed like, okay, now he's really going to show everybody he didn't get the ball anymore. Belichick, there's only so much you can do as a coach, but if any coach can go out there and prove something, It is obviously Bill Belichick. All right, when we come back, got to revisit the DeAndre Hopkins news. It's been over 24 hours. I'm trying to figure out why exactly the Texans felt the need to make that deal. We'll see if we can come to any sort of conclusion on that. Plus, how does all the player movement today affect the players that might be available for the Cardinals in the draft in April? That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. NFL Free Agency Frenzy on the Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Welcome back to the show. Luke Lipinski here with you. Arizona Cardinals, this is uh, now day two you heard in the update. 
They go out there and sign Jordan Phillips. That's uh, it's. I mean, it's a big move. You commit thirty million dollars. It's not all guaranteed, but you you get the the, uh, the you know the point there. But it's not nearly as big as what they did with DeAndre Hopkins, obviously, yesterday. I'm trying to find the clip here. That's why I'm stalling for time. Okay, here we go. Now I have it. Trey Wingo asked for uh, his assessment of what exactly was going on or going through Houston's mind yesterday, and this is what he said. I mean, the, the, right now the Houston Texans are a living, breathing, three-dimensional PSA for why a general manager is important. This is the most backwards thing I can remember since the Herschel Walker trade. Yeah. That's the most lopsided trade in NFL history, in my opinion, this one might be one of the worst, just in terms of what you're getting back and, and what the what – the, you traded away the one thing everybody in the NFL is looking for. Yes. He's locked in for three more years at a very friendly deal. I mean, I think it's 13, 14, and 15. Look at Amari Cooper, who just got five years for $100 million. Yeah. This is a ridiculous trade. Yeah, it, it really, really, really is. Incidentally, by the way, I just they flashed up on the screen. Patriots 20-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. That's their worst odds to start the year since 2002, which is before Brady was their quarterback. Um, but yeah, back to what you just heard Trey Wingo say right there about that trade. I mean, it's, it's 100% right. Like we all, inst- we almost, I, I don't know anybody who has reacted to that trade yesterday that thought, yeah, okay, I can see Houston's point of view. Now that was yesterday. It's pretty rare to have everybody universally think, okay, this team clearly won the trade. And 100% of people minus Bill O'Brien seem to feel that way. So I thought, okay, come in here, and do the show again today. It's, you know, it's been 24 hours plus now. Maybe maybe we all kind of like you start to see the other side that that whole theory of hey there's two sides to every story even though there isn't but it's it's at least a, a a relatively fair way to try to approach things. There's not another side to this. There really there just isn't. Trey Wingo just said it right there. Houston had DeAndre Hopkins, 14 million a year. Now maybe there were issues there between him and Bill O'Brien. It sounds like if there were, they were on Bill O'Brien's side. Haven't really heard anybody say much bad about DeAndre Hopkins, but either way, as we were signing off last night, like right after we signed off, Amari Cooper agrees to five years, $100 million. So $20 million a year for Amari Cooper or $14 million a year for DeAndre Hopkins. We're going to do this later on in the show, and you can certainly tweet in at Rundown987. We're going to go through the top five receivers in the NFL. Michaela and I are. We don't know each other's list. We're going to see uh, who we have. But I can tell you, going through the NFL and trying to come up with that list, there was a pretty clear top three, at least in my mind. Then there was a, a fourth guy that I think was pretty clear in his own tier. Good luck finding a fifth. I mean, it's not like proven, truly elite receivers are just hanging out and readily available in the NFL. This is supposed to be a good draft for receivers, but even those guys, like you're hoping, you're hoping one guy out of this draft someday becomes what DeAndre Hopkins has become, and as I will Point out again, even though I pointed out yesterday, go back and look at the early years of DeAndre Hopkins' career when he didn't have Deshaun Watson. He had like a different guy throwing to him on every down. So I've tried. I've tried to figure out. Maybe Bill O'Brien was like, there's no way we can keep DeAndre Hopkins. He's miserable here. Although that didn't seem to be the case. So let's go get David Johnson, who maybe has upside, I, I guess. And then we got a second round pick out of the deal. I mean, it is a high second round pick. But if you were the Cardinals and you used your first-round pick on a receiver this year, you draft Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb, you're hoping they become DeAndre Hopkins. So the fact that they were able to get DeAndre Hopkins essentially for their second-round pick and then, oh, by the way, get rid of David Johnson's contract 
so that you can get Kenyon Drake locked up or another running back if somehow that doesn't work. There's just, there's, there is no other side to this trade. Houston just absolutely botched that. And even if you feel like they had to move on from DeAndre Hopkins, you should be able to get more than a guy that a team had to get rid of in David Johnson. The Cardinals had to get rid of him. They weren't going to go into next season with him as their starting running back. So that's the other part of this. Even if you feel like the relationship between DeAndre Hopkins and Bill O'Brien wasn't going to work and you wanted to trade him, I'm pretty sure like 30 other teams would have lined up for Hopkins. And maybe, you know, maybe 10, 15 uh, couldn't, couldn't give you what you want or whatever, but there had to be at least one other one that could give you more than David Johnson and his contract and a second-round pick. That's, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I just cannot get past that. Uh, this is Mike Golick on Kyler Murray. I mean, three years left on a deal. You trade away in the team picture of the top two to three best receivers in the league. Kyler Murray, I, I tweeted yesterday, had to be doing cartwheels for what was coming his way. Yeah, I mean, that's that's uh, that's that's the truth. If you're Kyler Murray, you, you made it through a tough rookie season, but you also won Offensive Rookie of the Year, so it wasn't that tough. But still, five wins. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I was out there uh, at practice with the Cardinals, and Kyler Murray was like, "Yeah, I, I'm not, not really, uh, not really used to losing like this. I, I don't really know exactly how to, how to deal with it. I don't really accept it. I mean, it definitely bothered him to lose as much as the Cardinals did this year. But the bottom line is, he got through that, and now you look at the offense that he has around him. Uh, NFL.com or NFL on Twitter, I just say it's the NFL, tweeted out a graphic with the most receiving yards." prior to turning 28 years old in the NFL, in the Super Bowl era. Randy Moss is number one all-time. DeAndre Hopkins, number two. Larry Fitzgerald, number three. And they're both in the same offense. And it's here. It's not some It's not some offense on the other side of the country. That's what the Cardinals have. Now, Larry Fitzgerald is obviously older than 28 now, but regardless, you got two of the best receivers in the Super Bowl era, and they're still... They're going to be on the same team next year. They're going to be on your team next year. And Larry Fitzgerald is still a really good receiver. He's not just hanging out as some sort of like nostalgic, hey, let's all try and win one for Larry. Larry's been one of their best offensive weapons the last couple of years. So this is going to be fun this year. I don't know what Houston's doing. Cheese Doodle Dad tweeting into the show about Brady. Think it makes for an intriguing storyline. Brady without Bill, Bill without Brady. Is Brady a system quarterback plus pairing up Brady with Bruce Arians will just be fun. Couldn't agree more on that last one. But yeah, I mean, that's if there's been a knock on Tom Brady and that's probably an extreme uh, version of the word considering what he's done in his career. But if there's been, if you're making the argument that Brady's not the best quarterback of all time, you can't make the argument that he's not one of the five best. I, I think that's insane. But if you're making the argument that he's not number one, you say, well, yeah, look at the team he ended up on. Look at the system he played in. To me, it's not even so much the system, but, I mean, I think it's fair to wonder what an alternate universe looks like where the Cleveland Browns draft Tom Brady. He's probably still going to become a good quarterback. I don't know that he's the best of all time. I mean, look, there's there's something to that. That's That's the same for probably any great player. If they're going to be the best of all time, they also have to end up in the right situation. Like, to me, Brady, what makes him great, obviously, is what he does in big games. 
if he ended up on some team that couldn't get to big games, then we wouldn't see that side of him. I still think we'd look at him and say, oh, yeah, he's one of the 10 best quarterbacks of all time. I think he would have found a way. But if you're talking about, hey, is this guy the best of all time? Well, he's got a lot more on the line here because he's going to go now play for a team that does not have Bill Belichick. Brady was smart about it. He went to a team with a very good offensive mind in Bruce Arians and some really good weapons. So if, if he's got anything left, then he's he's got the pieces around him to make it work. But, I, I mean, do you look at Tampa Bay and think that's going to be a Super Bowl contender this year? I, I don't know about that. This is uh, Damian Woody talking, and obviously Woody would know, that playing for New England can be tough at times. Bill doesn't care if you're Tom Brady or you're the 50, you know, 53rd man on the roster. He's going to treat you the same way. So imagine 20 years of getting laid out and, and, and constantly under that, that grinder you know, the whole season. It wears on you. It wore, it, you know, wore on me. It wore on a lot of different guys that uh, played with Bill. And more to uh, the Patriots side of things, if you look at, in recent memory, players that were able to step in and successfully replace all-time great quarterbacks, maybe I'm forgetting one. But to me, the list is Aaron Rodgers stepping in, and I actually think he's better than Brett Favre. And what, Steve Young stepping in for Joe Montana. This was Steve Young talking about whoever Brady's replacement is, what they're going to have to do. The problem is, is that everyone's going to remember, as they should, 20 years of incredible success, that every incompletion, every loss, everything that could possibly happen bad for the team, offensive and defensively, they will put on this poor kid who's going to play quarterback. It'll be his fault. And so it's just going to be somebody that can withstand all that and can see that it isn't about the comparison, that he has a chance to go prove himself in his own platform for success. But it's going to take a tremendous amount of mental toughness. And, and it'll probably go through a couple of people to find that guy that has that mental toughness that can handle all of that comparison. Yeah, whoever steps in, I mean, you talk about having pressure. Not only all that, you're stepping into a city like this. It was tough for whoever had to step in for John Elway, like going in, like whoever's going to be the replacement for John Elway, whoever's going to be a replacement, you name any of the great quarterbacks, who's going to be a replacement for Peyton Manning with the Colts. Those guys had had success. Brady won six Super Bowls. And you're going into a city in Boston where the sports fans are used to at least one of their teams winning a championship like every year. Well, now all of a sudden they've lost Brady. They just lost Mookie Betts. The Bruins lost the Stanley Cup in Game 7 last year because Brad Marchand couldn't make a line change at the end of the first period. They're going to be upset. And I just don't know that Jarrett Stidham or Andy Dalton is going to be the answer. Now watch, they'll somehow trade up and get Tua in the draft or something, and then we'll all be miserable. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two of the show, live from the Ak-Chin Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here with you, and Michaela Perkins is behind the glass, and that's where we're going to start the reload. Lots going on around the uh, the world of sports, of course, headlined by the NFL today, and uh, but really the last two days. I would assume that's going to go that way for the rest of this week. Speaking of, today was insanity in the NFL. Phillip Rivers will be the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, and Teddy Bridgewater is going to Carolina. Tomorrow is going to get busy. 
Yeah, the quarterback carousel to me is now the most intriguing storyline that's left because now we know where Brady's going, but we don't really know where Jameis is going because he's now been uprooted. We don't know where Cam Newton's going because he's been uprooted. I cannot help but look at this through the lens of the Cardinals. And if you're like me, you're hoping as many quarterbacks as possible go in the top seven before the Cardinals pick at eight because you want a guy like Isaiah Simmons to drop to the Cardinals at eight. Maybe that's unrealistic. Jeff Okuda, the corner out of Ohio State, maybe that's unrealistic, except there were mock drafts showing up to four quarterbacks going in the top seven. I think probably three is more realistic. Look, you know Burroughs going number one, Washington picks second, they're probably going Chase Young. After that, though, you've got Detroit, you've got the Giants. Right now, the Lions and and Giants, neither one of them needs a quarterback. Uh, Miami still does. The Chargers certainly do. Carolina, though, and this is where it hurts, because Carolina went out and went with Teddy Bridgewater and they they paid him. I mean, he's getting $63 million for the next three years. He's their starting quarterback. Uh, the mock draft I'm looking at right now from CBS yesterday had Carolina taking Justin Herbert with the seventh pick, and that allows, or at least makes it more likely, that a guy like Okuda or Simmons would drop to the Cardinals at eight. But now with Carolina not in the market for a quarterback, you're really only looking at Cincinnati, Miami, and the Chargers as teams that could take quarterbacks before the Cardinals. Now, of course, a team could trade up with Carolina or somebody else, or maybe even the Cardinals, so we'll see. After parting ways with Dan Marley, GCU has hired former Vanderbilt head coach Bryce Drew to head their men's basketball team. Uh, Yeah, he was on with uh, with Bickley and Murata today, and he had this to say about his impressions of GCU basketball. My wife and I went down and just briefly, you know, saw the campus. We visited with President Mueller. Uh, Jerry Colangelo, Jamie Boggs, and um, we're just kind of blown away with the the vibrant, you know, Christian environment and how it's influenced the communities around with the vision of the school and um, and just with the passion for basketball. Like like the I've learned so much about the Havocs in the last forty eight hours, and I mean, truly remarkable the atmosphere that they've created at Grand Canyon and the love for basketball. Yeah, it's. Um... You know, hey, I'm, I'm watching on ESPN right now. The scroll has GCU hiring Bryce Drew. So, I mean, even with everything going on nationally within the world of sports and specifically in the NFL, GCU is, uh, has made enough of, the, of a name for themselves here over the last couple of years where it is national news. Bryce Drew is well known. If you, Anytime you're watching those highlights during March Madness, talking about March Madness makes me sad now, but... All the years you've watched the highlights of March Madness, next year when you watch the highlights of March Madness, that shot from Valparaiso from back in like the 90s when they won uh, at the last second, that was uh, was Bryce Drew. The Brooklyn Nets announced today that four players, including Kevin Durant, have tested positive for the coronavirus after the team had spent time in San Francisco. Yeah, that brings the number up to seven in the NBA. Uh, three, The other three Nets have not been identified But uh, this is Woj saying that the Nets players really weren't showing very many symptoms. Three players uh, have not shown any symptoms of it. One player awoke this morning uh, with some aches, uh, some aches and pains. And that's been the only uh, symptoms any of the four have shown. But now uh, all those players plus the rest of the team uh, and the traveling party with the Nets, they're all being asked uh, to stay in isolation. Obviously, got to be uh, safe with something like that. But uh, like I said earlier, I think it's at least it's, it is important to also point out like Kevin Durant told uh, The Athletic that he's feeling fine right now, relatively. So stay tuned. 
The Arizona Cardinals have been quite busy during free agency. Today, they inked defensive lineman Jordan Phillips to a three-year, $30 million deal. Pro football focus, not real high on this deal for the Cardinals. But, I mean, last year, it was it was remarkable after the draft, looking at, uh, at, at how pro football focus stacked up the prospects in the draft and how the Cardinals stacked up the prospects. Remember, like... PFF went through and basically said the Cardinals had a steal with every pick almost. And and there was like one or two picks where they didn't get a steal, but it was good value. Like, I guess Kyler Murray can't be a steal because he took him with number one pick. But, um, yeah, they loved pretty much all the moves the Cardinals made last year. They don't love this one. Jordan Phillips has, um, he's, you know, he's had an interesting career up to this point in the sense that with Miami, he really didn't do much. And then the Bills claimed him off waivers going into 2018. And he played well enough to stick around for 2019. And now this past year, he actually had a really good season. Nine and a half sacks, 31 tackles. If the Cardinals get anything like that from him, I mean, it's very, very clearly a need for uh, the Cardinals just get defensive line help. This is Lorenzo Alexander, who was Phillips' teammate in Buffalo last year, on with Doug and Wolf this morning. He plays the run well. He has great instincts. He gets off the ball well. Uh, he plays physical. Um, he has an attitude about himself, a swagger. And so um, his, his thing, I think, is just always continue to learn the game, understand how people are attacking him, and just grow mentally like any uh, younger player in this league uh, should, should want to do and try to do that, help improve their game as they get older. That's the key. I mean, did, did Jordan Phillips put it all together this past season because he was in a contract year and he wanted to not salvage his career, but to, to you know deliver in a big way in your contract year, you're going to get paid. He just did, and he got paid. He'll be 28, uh, 27 when the season starts in the NFL, but he'll turn 28 in September. So is it just a matter of he finally put it all together this past season and that's who he is now, or was that an anomaly because it was a chance to really get paid? We'll find out. Either way, he has the upside to be that player because he has done it now for a full season. Before today, many were wondering where Tom Brady would play football next season, and it looks like we might have our answer. And might I add, I am so happy it's not the AFC West. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've asked you this on the air. So I know you didn't want him to go to the AFC West because you like the Broncos and you didn't want them to have to face either the Chargers, which is where a lot of people thought he was going. He's not going to Kansas City. Uh, the Raiders up until a couple days ago. Would you have taken him on the Broncos? If it meant winning a Super Bowl, yes. But uh, it wouldn't have been my favorite thing ever just because it is like ingrained in my DNA to dislike Tom Brady. So it would have been a hard pill to swallow. I will say, though, if he had gone to the Chargers or, God forbid, the Raiders, I think today would have been the worst day of my life. Are, are we all like just bad people because we're all happy to see Brady and Belichick broken up. I feel like we were all rooting against some some just really annoying celebrity couple to break up and I don't, it happened. I don't think so. We're, I'm so tired of it. It's been the same thing for the past six years and I'm just, oh, I'm so tired of it. It's, it's, I mean, those, yeah, it's it feels, what is it? It's actually it's been 17 years, Brady, with, uh, with the Patriots. It feels like it's been 150 and honestly, like the first couple of Super Bowls they won, it was like, all right, whatever. This is kind of a cool story. The first one they won, they actually were underdogs. But I said it on the show when it happened, too. This was two seasons ago now when I finally was just done with the Patriots, like done, is when they went into the playoffs when they won their most recent Super Bowl, claiming they were the underdogs. That's, that's when I was out on the Patriots. And I feel fairly confident they're not winning the Super Bowl this season now. I still think they'll probably be a playoff team. I don't. I can't see Belichick missing the playoffs. 
the one time he has done it in the last, what, 15, 16, 17 years, they still went 11-5. and five. But um, they're going to take a hit unless they go out and get, like, Cam Newton tomorrow, which I, I don't know. I, I don't see that being the Patriots' move. I, I actually can see them just sticking with Jarrett Stidham and trying to prove that it's all about the uh, the system they have in place there. We'll see. Brady goes to the Buccaneers. He's got two really good receivers on his team. We come back. We are going to debate the top five receivers in the NFL right now. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. Keeping it live and local with Luke Lipinski on the Rundown. 98.7 FM Arizona's Sports Station. We haven't done top five in a while. Actually, I already got an idea for top five for tomorrow, but I'll keep that to myself until tomorrow. Just the, an idea factory over there, aren't yeah. you? Well, no, that was it. That's my one idea. But for me, that's that's relative to being an Usually idea Usually I'm the brains of the operation, so it's great you're finally con- contributing. <laughs> <laughs> I figured I'd chime in you know, once a week if we're going to be doing two-hour shows all week. Uh, but this one was easy. Top five wide receivers in the NFL right now. I shouldn't say it was easy to make the list. It was easy that this needed to be the topic this week. We were going to get to it last night. We just ran out of time with everything going on. But we're going to count up from number five. Mikhail and I are each going to start at number five and then work our way up. This is the way we did this was you're going into next season. So just for next season, and I don't have to take age into account other than if you think a guy's going to trail off next season. But you don't have to sit there and think about contract or this or that or where the guy's going to be in five years. You're starting a team next season. Who are your top five picks at wide receiver? Okay? Okay. You Uh, can go first. Okay, number five. I'm going to go with Devontae Adams of the Green Bay Packers, number five. Um, If you recall earlier in his career, he could not catch the first two years of his career and even at times in like the third year of his career but he picked things up considerably and uh two years ago was amazing last year really good as well he's clearly Aaron Rodgers top target which is going to help your career tremendously but you do have to earn Aaron Rodgers trust otherwise at some point he'll stop throwing it to you so Devontae Adams for me is number five all right for my number five I have Mike Evans Tampa Bay Buccaneers Obviously, he was the Bucks' number one guy, which also makes him my number five guy because playing for the Buccaneers sucks. <laughs> at <laughs> not, least, not so much now. At least season, I was gonna say, yeah. At least last season, he had a more consistent quarterback play, which definitely helped him out. But um, I mean, he averaged eighty-four receiving yards per game, which is pretty good. And uh, if he has Tom Brady throwing to him next year, watch out. Yeah, Mike Evans, especially like at the start of last year, really dangerous. And you have to remember, when he went over 1,000 yards last year, eight touchdowns. I'll keep talking about Mike Evans because he's my number four guy on my list. Um, he was splitting a lot of those touches with Chris Godwin because Tampa Bay suddenly had two very good receivers last year. So, I mean, every time Jameis threw the ball, it was caught. It was either caught by one of those two or somebody on the other team. But Evans has been in the NFL for six straight years, all of them. He's gone over a thousand yards each of the last two years. He has eight touchdowns. He's gone over. Uh, he's hit twelve touchdowns twice in his career. The other thing I would say about Evans, and this really maybe shouldn't factor into his career at this point, but if you remember back when he was in college and everybody thought Johnny Manziel was going to be good, and then we saw that Johnny Manziel was actually terrible. How much of Johnny Manziel looking good in college was Mike Evans? Like, I think that's a fair question to ask. Now, Manziel, I understand, had the escapability and everything in college, and it's a different game in college, but. Mike Evans was a big part of that. 
uh, at Texas A&M. Who do you got at number four? I think we just switched five and four. Yeah. So I have Devontae Adams at four. For all the reasons you just said, the past two seasons have really been impressive. His breakout year was definitely 2018, but he was still doing really well in 2019. He was second in the NFL for receiving yards per game, which is amazing. Um, and like you said, it always helps. It always helps when you have Aaron Rodgers on the other side of the ball. Uh, this was my sort of realization making this list. Like, I had a couple guys honorable mention that I'm pretty sure are not going to be in your top three, so I'll mention them now. Amari Cooper and even Stefan Diggs, but... He was on... I was considering, yeah. Yeah, Diggs, right? When we were making the list, to me, there was there was a top three, which we're about to get into. And honestly, in any order, I think you could put the top three. You really could. And then Evans and... I had to kind of dig for Devontae Adams, relatively. I mean, I know who he is, and obviously had him on a lot of fantasy teams over the last couple of years. He was on my team last year. But I, th- I thought there was going to be somebody else that was better than him, but Adams has been really good. So either way, to me, there is a clear top three you can put in any order. Then there's that next tier of two guys, which is Evans and Devontae Adams, you can put in any order. And then there's just kind of everybody else. So anyway, let's get into the top three. Let's battle to the death over our top three wide receivers. I don't feel that strongly about the, uh, the order here of these top three. I really don't. I think my number one edges out the other two, but yes, for the most part, they are interchangeable. All right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put DeAndre Hopkins number three. That's who I have a number three, okay. too. Yep. Uh, um, and if you're listening and you're like, how could you put DeAndre Hopkins so low? The Cardinals didn't have a receiving game last year outside of Larry Fitzgerald, and now they have at worst the number three receiver in the NFL. So I feel pretty good about it. And like I said, any of these top three could finish next year as, as the number one receiver. I firmly believe that. Hopkins, you've heard enough about him, I would say, over the last uh, – 24 to 36 hours, but I mean, if he didn't watch the Texans over the last few years, it, it's just, it's remarkable what he does. The catches he makes. I know Odell Beckham gets all the credit in the world for uh, what, two really impressive catches? One of them may be the most impressive catch of all time, but Hopkins is just consistent, man. And it doesn't matter who's throwing him the ball, but definitely it, Sports Center top 10 worthy catches. Yeah. And you don't necessarily think of it because he's like, he's, it's the Texans. <laughs> yeah, because it's the Texans. And also, he's just, he doesn't. Like, there's other guys, I think the next guy we have on this list, or at least next guy I have on this list, you look at him and you're like, nobody could cover him, just look at his size. Hopkins is 6'1", 212. Like, it's fine, but he's not huge. Yeah, and I think the Texans had a relatively good system, um, especially that worked well for Deshaun Watson and Hopkins, so I'm really interested to see how he's going to plug into the Cardinal system, and Kyler throwing to DeAndre Hopkins just makes my heart happy. It is crazy. It hasn't even happened yet, and I'm excited. (laughs) Two years ago. Well, I mean, it's a great point, though, because a lot of times you want to get excited about whatever the home team does. So they go out and sign somebody. You're like, oh, okay, I'm going to talk myself into it. You don't have to talk yourself into DeAndre Hopkins at all. Two seasons ago, 1,572 yards and 11 touchdowns. The year before that, 1,378 and 13 touchdowns. Uh, My number two on my list is actually the only player in the NFL who had more receiving yards than DeAndre Hopkins two years ago when he had the 1,572 that is Julio Jones, who had 1677 that year. And I just, I know Atlanta's been to the Super Bowl before. I almost feel like Atlanta holds him back a little bit. Oh, totally. Matt Ryan is a dingus. Sorry for <laughs> any Matt Ryan fans out there, but he's not a good quarterback. People were saying that he should be in the elite quarterback group. I'm like, where? What? No. Yes, he's been to a Super Bowl, but ugh. 
he limped into the Super Bowl. <laughs> was that the official scouting report on Matt Ryan when he was drafted? Yes, okay. he's a dingus. Right. Yeah, definitely. No, I Julio Jones is my number two as well, so we don't have to fight to death over our top three because we agree. But um, yeah, it just sucks that he is on the Falcons. I feel like his talent is being wasted on a team that's not very good and a quarterback that isn't a great quarterback. Uh, so I'm assuming we both have the same number one. I already thought Michael Thomas was one of the best receivers in the NFL coming into this season. But just to drive the point home, on Monday Night Football, I'm trying to figure out what game it was. It had to be the Monday Night Game against the Colts in our fantasy playoffs. I needed him to just not go completely insane. And by the end of the first half, he had already gone completely insane. He finished that game with 12 catches, 128 yards, and a touchdown. Then he followed it up the next week with 12 more catches, 136 yards, and a touchdown. The thing about Michael Thomas, his targets and his actual receptions almost match up identically. Last year, over 1,700 receiving yards and nine scores. Yeah, it's just so good. Actually, I have Antonio Brown is my number one. Oh, do you? Um, okay. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, Michael Thomas is my number one, too. Um, yeah, I mean, the dude's a beast. And it always helps when you have Drew Brees throwing you the ball. But he is just next level. He's so good. I think it was, what, 107 yards per game last year? Yeah. Almost 10 receptions per game. If you throw him the ball anywhere in the general direction of where he is on the field, he will catch it. He had 149 catches last year. That's crazy. I, I really, I, I need to go find the numbers. I'll find them during the break to see how many catches the Cardinals as a team had last year. But Michael Thomas had 149 catches. Hey, how about these career numbers through four years? 603 targets, he's caught 470 of them. So that means 78% of the time you throw Michael Thomas the ball, he's going to catch it. Now, to your point, most of those passes have come from Drew Brees, so they're probably pretty good passes, but that is a ridiculous success rate. 1,725 yards last year, 5,512 yards in four years, and 32 touchdowns. Just Unreal. so good. Unreal. So good. Where did he get drafted? He was the, he was the second-round pick in 2016. So every team could have had him. So crazy. Some teams could have had him twice. Look at that. We come back. Arguably the most iconic player, maybe in NFL history, changing teams. Does this make the Buccaneers an actual contender in the NFC? We'll get into that next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. It's the Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Final segment of the show here. Of course, Tom Brady announcing this morning he's not going to be playing for the Patriots. And then by this afternoon, it came out that that team is going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You start to think about who's going to replace Tom Brady, and you realize in recent memory, the only guys that have really replaced legends and done a good job were uh, were Aaron Rodgers, who I, I think is probably ultimately better than Brett Favre, and Steve Young, who stepped in admirably for Joe Montana. But that was like forever ago. Steve Young, though, was asked what's Brady's replacement is going to have to do and what to expect when he steps in in New England next year. The problem is, is that everyone's going to remember, as they should, 20 years of incredible success, that every incompletion, every loss, everything that could possibly happen bad for the team, offensive and defensively, they will put on this poor kid who's going to play quarterback. It'll be his fault. And so it's just going to be somebody that can withstand all that and can see that it isn't about the comparison, that he has a chance to go prove himself in his own platform for success. But it's going to take a tremendous amount of mental toughness and, and it'll probably go through a couple of people to find that guy that has that mental toughness that can handle all of that comparison. I just don't know that Jarrett Stidham is going to be able to step in with that landscape that, that Steve Young is setting out right there because it's true. We're not, we're not just talking about, hey, this guy's got to replace 
Peyton Manning, who for the longest time, I will say, I thought was a better quarterback than Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady, a more accomplished quarterback. Peyton Manning, when you consider what he did for the longest time and didn't necessarily have the defense that, that the Patriots did for some of those years. I'm not going to get in that debate now because Brady's won eight, four, like nine million Super Bowls at this point. He's won six Super Bowls. So it's tough to have that debate now. But when you consider that it's tough to step in, even just when it's been a good quarterback for a while on a team, then you start to talk about the legends like the Peyton Mannings, the John Elways, and you start to, you know, the Brett Favre. I mean, Aaron Rodgers did it. Joe Montana, Steve Young did it. You're talking about stepping in in a sports marketplace in Boston that is used to winning at least a title every year between all their teams. And in the last, what, nine months? The Bruins lost the Stanley Cup in Game 7 because of a botched line change to St. Louis, a team that the Bruins were favored over. The Red Sox have voluntarily moved on from Mookie Betts, and now the Patriots, after suffering, relatively suffering, through one of their worst seasons in recent memory, which still got them to the playoffs, are now going to be playing without Tom Brady. You want to be the guy that steps in to replace him? To me, that's got to be a guy that's been in the league and had some experience. I don't see Andy Dalton stepping in and being able to handle that either. And to be clear, I don't think it's impossible for a player to step in and win next year for the Patriots. You're still going to have Bill Belichick, who I do think was probably, I think he was more valuable over the last 17 years to what the Patriots did than Brady. I don't think it was like 90-10. I think it was like 60-40. But you're still going to have Belichick. You know, you're still going to be in a division that I know could be improved, but also could not be improved. Like the Jets and Dolphins could get better, but they haven't really yet. Buffalo, I think, is a decent team. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, the Patriots are going to win the AFC East again next year. Well, they, no, they just lost Tom Brady. But you have to feel like Bill Belichick always has some sort of plan. The dynasty, yeah, that's over. But they could still be a good team next year. So it's not a matter of, no, they're not going to be able to find a guy to step in and, and, and play and maybe get them to 10, 11 wins or whatever. Maybe that's pushing it, but it's at least possible. But it's what Steve Young is saying right there. You're going to have to step in in that shadow, in that town, and be the guy that replaces Tom Brady. Nothing you do next year is going to be good enough. Flipping it to the Buccaneers side of things, Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions last year. Tom Brady has thrown 30 interceptions since December of 2015. That's going to be a different-looking team. They've got weapons. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Uh, they got O.J. Howard at tight end. They've got a couple of, what, Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones at running back last year. They've got some pieces. They've got Bruce Arians, who obviously knows how to make an offense go. That's going to be a fun team to watch next year. They finished 7-9 last year, but they finished strong after a bad start. Now you got Brady. How much does he have left? We'll see. Thanks to Michaela Perkins behind the glass. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Luke Lipinski. This has been The Rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.